Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to part two of our Netflix original special podcasts. Um, yes, it's me again. It's Owen. Uh, but we have the same guests that are joining me and Steve this week. It's, it's still Chris Haig and it's still Phil Jarman. Um, but this is our Triple Bill podcast. So we have our favourite comedy that we pick, favourite Netflix original comedy, Netflix original drama and a Netflix original feature. And we'll just go on to talk about those shortly. And then at the end of the podcast, we have our recommendations for things that we suggest that you you try out as well. Um, thanks to everyone who voted in our polls on Twitter, by the way, and suggested your favourite comedies and dramas. Uh, we do talk about those as well a little bit on the podcast, but um, I will shut up again and we'll get on with the show. This week's Triple Bill is, is like the rest of the podcast, uh, Netflix original themed, and we are going to be picking our favourite uh, Netflix original comedy, favourite Netflix original drama, and uh, favourite Netflix original feature as well. Um, Owen, why don't you kick us off with your favourite Netflix comedy? I will indeed, but first, actually, because I've just suddenly remembered, we put out a poll on Twitter earlier and asked people for their favourite Netflix original comedy and I gave them three choices which were Arrested Development, Love and Bojack Horseman or they could choose something else. 46% of the voters said something else. (laughs) 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 We've had a couple of suggestions for what that might be but I'll come on to that in a minute. Uh, Bojack Horseman had 23% was the next highest voted for and with 15% apiece uh, Arrested Development and Love were joined bottom of that poll. Sorry, Phil. Um, but also because Arrested Development is my choice. So sorry to me. <laughs> don't know if I can do that. Um, yeah, Arrested Development. So, okay, of course it wasn't actually a Netflix property until uh, last year, maybe, 2014. It was uh, season four. They brought it back from the graveyard. Netflix. They they recommissioned uh, a whole new season of episodes of the uh, fantastic, brilliant, award-winning, classic, qu- quality, high-quality comedy series Arrested Development, which was originally on TV, as I said. Um, it's about a guy called Michael Bluth and his family of sort of eccentric rich people. And I don't know how to describe it. They're just a, basically a dysfunctional family, is all I'm trying to get at. Um, but he's got Jason Bateman as the lead character, as Michael Bluth, who before Arrested Development was not quite so well known. And now he's in almost every other film, every comedy that seems to be coming out of America. Uh, you've got Will Arnett, uh, who also is not quite as successful, I don't think, as Jason Bateman, but is now in everything else. He plays Job, who is just an a sublime comedy creation. Mm-hmm. He's just a fantastic character. Michael Cera, of course, started out almost in um, in Arrested Development. It's where he sort of made his, his fame to begin with. Tony Hale, David Cross, Jeffrey Tambor, uh, Jessica Walter, Portia de Rossi. There's just like loads of people who are... Starting, who started out with the rest of the development where they made their fame and fortune and now just are, are everywhere, who have just become very successful. With good reason, because they are just, all of them, exceptional 
They are all brilliant in their own sort of ways and they all bring something different to the show. And I think that was recognised quite um, aptly with season four because they followed a pattern which was different to the first three seasons in that each episode would follow a particular character and it would be them telling the, the same story from a different character's perspective in each one. Sort of like uh, Pulp Fiction, you know, had the stories all intertwined. It was like that. And it, it, a lot of people didn't like the fact that season four did that. I think they were restricted quite a lot by the timetables of these actors, who, as I mentioned, are no so successful, really. Getting the time to come and just do a complete season of TV is very difficult for them. So they worked around it and it, it came out quite well. I think Mitchell uh, Hurwitz, who was the, the creator and writer, he did a very good job with season four. I thought it was very funny. It was perhaps not Arrested Development at its best, but I was very glad to see it back. I thought it was um, probably the best comedy that I've seen uh, from Netflix of their, their originals. Um, not a lot of them actually have been pretty good. I, I wasn't so keen on the one episode of BoJack Horseman that I watched. I wasn't that impressed with it to come back. So I'm slightly dismayed to see it beating Arrested Development in our poll. Um, but others like Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, which I think we'll talk about in a bit, I did enjoy as well. Wet Hot American Summer, first day of camp, we did mention briefly earlier. Very much enjoyed that too. Um but yeah, so Arrested Development is my choice uh, to get this this triple bill going. It was my favourite Netflix original comedy. Okay, and Chris, how about yourself? Uh, yeah, thank you for that. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it nicely segues into um, my favourite, which is Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Um, I have not seen a lot of American comedies in terms of stuff like 30 Rock and The Office mainly because they were on Comedy Central and I just, I, I couldn't be asked going that far, <laughs> that deep. It's I was there. Quite just high like, up the sky planner, isn't it? It, yeah. it really was. I was like, <laughs> this shouldn't be work. Going, yeah, no. But um, no, I saw the promos for it and it sounded like a very intriguing concept and it is ridiculously funny. So for those of you who don't know, uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt is about a girl named Kimmy Schmidt who is rescued from uh, a doomsday cult, which is basically not a real doomsday cult, as it turns out. It's basically an excuse for a creepy guy uh, played very well by uh, John Hamm, who needs more comedy roles, really. Um, Sorry, so... are, there, are there real doomsday cults? I'd assume that none of them were real. <laughs> <laughs> no, but real doomsday cults like Heaven's Gate, not, not, not this, not this. Um, <laughs> you never know; one of them might turn out to be real, and then who will be laughing? I know. No, I was looking we'll for you for guidance. I was looking for you yeah. guidance. Where yeah. I should be hanging my hat here? Well, according to Ghostbusters, according to Ghostbusters too, we should have all died on you know Valentine's Day this year. So bummer. Uh, but yeah, so Ellie Kemper plays Kimmy Schmidt, who's rescued from a doomsday cult, um, and she ends up, rather than going home, she decides to try and make a life for herself in New York City, and it's very, very zany, very offbeat, um, very optimistic and sweet, and um, I, I mean, I, I had so much to love for this show. I watched the whole um, 13 episodes in like one I, I think I saw it all in a day because they're, they're half an hour thing. So I was like, yeah, great. I can just get through these in a day. And they are a lot of fun to watch. Um, I think she's really ably supported by uh, the rest of the cast because you have people like Carol Kane on there who is possibly one of the funniest women alive. Um, I mean, I will always remember her mainly as um, the ghost of Christmas present in Scrooge, where she kicked the crap out of Bill Murray and I thought it was the funniest <laughs> thing ever but she was also in The Addams Family and she's done tons and tons of work since then she plays that kind of brilliantly misanthropic uh, landlady with a deep dark hidden past that's it's she's hilarious in it you also have the Rocks Jane Krakowski in it she plays Jacqueline Voorhees who's this pampered completely out of touch with reality um housewife and who she ends up employing Kimmy to be her maid, assistant, tutor, pretty much anything really. Um, but I, th I think in terms of standout performances and really breakout from this, it has to be Titus Burgess as Titus yep. Andromedon, who is 
who how I've never seen him before. I don't, <laughs> but now I basically want to watch him in everything. He is so <laughs> funny, um, and he really is responsible for the show being kind of a breakout hit, mainly because of Pinot Noir. Which even if you don't yes. watch the show, watch Pinot Noir. It is, it is a triumph. It is everything every modern music video aspires to be. Um, I watched that yesterday, it's... that episode for the first time, and it was just fantastic. It's that what, was it, just absolutely just hilarious. It is genius. It is a genius. And the amazing thing is that even though that is honestly comedy gold, it's not the one funny thing in that the one-liners and the bits and the whole structure of the series is honestly, it's so, so funny. And there are so many cool in-jokes. And it manages to balance that line between being... Mm-hmm. Not really. I wouldn't even say cynical. I think it balances the kind of the sweetness and the optimism and the kind of sincerity of Kimmy's character and what she believes in, and the kind of fact that yeah, you can achieve your dreams and go for that. But it does temper it with this very, very bone dry uh, humor, which is brilliant, and I do mm-hmm. absolutely adore it for that. Um, there's also some fantastic guest stars in it, which I love. So there's like Kim and Shipka, there's Amy Sedaris, there's Martin Short, there's Christine Ebersole, there's, you know, Tina Fey's in it, John Hamm's in it, like I said. Um, honestly, it's absolutely hilarious. I would, even if it's not your sort of thing, give it a try. First couple of episodes, and I promise you, you'll probably be hooked. See, I really liked Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. But I think it's very telling your introduction there because the big problem that I had with Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt was that it's not as good as 30 Rock and it's not (laughs) as good as The American Office and that you've never seen either of those two things. Makes me say, go and watch those because they're better. (laughs) And as much as I liked Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, it's not as good. I hope it finds its feet more and becomes a bit more rounded in subsequent series because it hasn't got that coherence that both 30 Rock and um, The Office had. And bear in mind, neither did either of those in their first season either. So Mm -hmm. I've got high hopes that um, Kimmy Schmidt will get better and more involved and the arcs of the characters will get better but at this stage it, it's definitely in the shadow of those other two shows that it's very it's much the, in the same family as it's tina fey produced isn't it uh, uh, created yeah. and she yeah. stars in the last two episodes as well so yeah oh wow okay got that to look forward to then <laughs> she's brilliant yeah she is okay um my choice is i suppose all right that Right, I've not seen... Do you want to finish what you're eating I'm first? Saying, you I'm eat, not, so. not, no, I'm not eating. I'm just confusing myself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that is the best excuse yeah. I've ever heard. I've yep. not really seen what too much of what you classed as out-and-out comedy of, of Netflix's original material. Um, but they are putting out a fair bit of... Um, a fair few stand-up shows, um, which obviously is not much point to talk about them too much because... Um, they don't have a plot or anything like that you can talk about. But um, Jim Jeffries Bear, I thought, was probably the funniest of the ones that I've seen. But I have seen um, Better Call Saul, which is not an out-and-out comedy, but it's probably funnier than what um, Breaking Bad is and, and perhaps has more funny moments than a lot of dramas do. And it is it is really, really good. Um, I can never pronounce his surname, but the guy who plays Saul is, is just... Bob Odenkirk. That's the van. Um, is is brilliant as as Saul. Um, you worry when pro shows like Breaking Bad might put a spin off out because you just think it's not going to be as good. It's not going to live up to the hype. It's just going to be kind of a a cash cow or yeah, I was you know, terrified. I was really frightened um, of watching it. Mm-hmm. But it, but it turned out it's not as good as Breaking Bad. I mean, not many shows are going to be, but it is a worthy companion to the show. It's not like uh, Fear the Walking Dead is to The Walking Dead. Yeah, that's right. It's, uh, it's, it, it is, I think in, in comparison of those two shows, it's much better uh, than Fear the Walking Dead was. Fear the Walking Dead was just... Garbage. It wasn't great, was it? I mean, less said Where... about that thing on an aeroplane. 
<laughs> yeah, well, although what's, what's a... going to happen? Although we've told you that one of the cast members joins Fear the Walking Dead, so the plane will land. Hmm. Yeah, but the the thing is, though, they're both technically AMC shows, so it's it's one of those things where Better Call Saul is is called a Netflix original here in the UK because it's not shown anywhere else. Um. In the UK, it's not shown on any other channel. But in other countries, for example, in America, it was actually created yeah. for TV. Um, but maybe it's possibly because AMC didn't have a channel in the UK until very recently. They didn't have the no, B- a lot, BT. Um, a lot of their shows been shown B- on FX, weren't they? Well, certainly, yeah. The Walking Dead was with repeats mm-hmm. on one of Channel 5's numerously confusingly named channels. <laughs> Breaking Bad was originally on. FX as well, yeah. um, but they've got a deal now with uh, BT, BT TV. So there's an, an actual channel where they show all the the programs. But Better Call Saul still is exclusive to Netflix over here in the yeah. UK. But it just shows like it's the it's the branding, isn't it? Because they get to put that Netflix original logo on it, and automatically it makes you think it's going to be of a certain quality. Yeah, it's now it is now a. a the sign of quality and Netflix original. There's not much that they've done that is dreadful, is there? I mean, there's The Ridiculous Six, which is dreadful. Well, yeah, there's a few. There's a very Murray Christmas, which is just the most smug, up-itself, self-indulgent piece of crap that I had the displeasure of watching over Christmas. <laughs> Have you watched it with... Bad. It's terrible. Have you watched with Bob and David? With Bob Odenkirk and David Cross? No. It's okay. That... Oh, that was just complete shit as well. No, you're wrong. Yeah. You're wrong. It's it great. Was, it was not great. That was just stoner sketch show comedy at its worst. No. <laughs> <laughs> Some of it was mm. funny. Well, maybe I'm on my own with that one then, but I just really didn't like Bob Bob and David. But anyway, yeah, Better Call Saul is... Um, Be- Better Call Saul's is, good. <laughs> yeah, and it's, uh, for those who don't know, it's um, the spin-off series from Breaking Bad... Starring Saul Goodman, um, it's kind of a flashback to his life before he met, uh, before he met uh, and got involved in the circumstances in Breaking Bad, although with little bits from the, the present day. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, the second series, second season has just started. Do you guys go for seasons still, or is it series, being British? Uh if it's season? a British series, it's a series. Yeah. If it's an American season, it's a season. When in Rome. Yeah. But they don't really have seasons on Netflix, do they? They call it a season, but it's not seasonal. Because there's no, like, it's coming out at this particular time of year for this reason, and it's going to be interrupted at this point because of that holiday. It's, no, it's I, different. I think that they're I think scheduled... it's just a name. To suggest that they're not being canny in their scheduling would be incorrect, I think. They've oh, no, been no, very yeah. consistent in the way that they've released seasons and following very tight release patterns that complement one another. So making sure that their Marvel properties are staggered throughout the year and um, making sure that you've got an expectation of when the next season of um, Orange is the New Black is coming out. So, But there's no like big winter show. I mean, Orange is the New Black, for example, comes out in June, which isn't traditionally a time to put out your biggest show. Well, you know. exactly. So it gets the market to itself because nothing else is having any noise made about it at that point. That's not an accidental decision on their part, mm. I'm sure, because nothing that Netflix does is in any way anything other than calculated to the infinite detail <laughs> because they've got so much data about mm-hmm. me. <laughs> yeah, they do. They have so much data on all of us. It's uh, it's quite scary when you think about it. You just have to <laughs> relax and think, at least I'm getting good TV. Yeah, they're this. doing good stuff with that data, so that's fine. And they're not selling me very liquid while they go about it. So that's, <laughs> that's absolutely fine. There we go. Uh, Phil, what have you been watching on Netflix in terms of comedy? Okay. Well, I want to talk about BoJack Horseman, uh, which we did touch on earlier. And Owen, you said that you gave it one episode and decided it wasn't for you. I was, it was, I was when... the same as Owen, to be fair. And I, I, I am like aware it. it takes time. I'm aware it takes time. I just, at the, when I watched the first episode, it was a, what's this then? I'll give it a go. Mm, I've got other things to watch. I mean, and... I mean, I can see what you mean because it, it might well take time to get into, but there's so much television out there that people say is worth watching now. You don't have time. 
Um, Sometimes yeah, you think if that doesn't grip me from day one, I haven't got time. I, and there are so many other day. shows. Yeah, I haven't I haven't started on like House of Cards yet, mm. which is like their flagship show. Um, there's like plenty of the documentaries, the you know the Square, the Runga, What Happened, Miss Simone, all of these like critically acclaimed documentaries. I haven't even started yet. So I thought BoJack Horseman was one I could put to one side until. And I completely agreed with you. I watched the first episode and I thought, oh, so Netflix are having a go at making their own Family Guy or American Dad. That doesn't need doing. Watched the first episode, thought they're not even doing it as well. The animation's not as good and the jokes aren't as quick. I'll put this to one side. And then I revisited and I realized that actually it is so much better than those shows in just about every measurable way in that it becomes a there is unlike those stories there is a very consistent storyline going through it and there is development of the characters that you don't expect from that kind of show you don't expect running storylines and you don't expect there to be the sense of ennui and dread and disillusionment and themes that don't belong in a story that is about an animated horse man <laughs> yeah. I, I completely agree. Cat I woman love, girlfriend. I love the show. I love Bulljack Horseman. It's so good. And it just builds and builds and builds. So before you know it, you're so invested. And these stories are so delicate and sad. I mean, it really is a depressing mm. program if you want to take it that way, while still being very funny and having some great one liners and some great characters in there. But it's at its heart got that so just to to recap what the story is you've got bojack horseman who's the main character and all of the or a lot of the characters are anthropomorphic animal people and some of them are just people with and they don't really address it so there's lots of jokes about these kind of things but they don't really go into it um which is funny in and of itself And Bojack Horseman was a star of a 1990s sitcom, a very bad 1990s sitcom (laughs) called Horsin' Around. And he basically made lots of money doing that, but had no artistic fulfillment from it and then has done nothing since. And now here we are 20 years later and he's loafing around in his huge L.A. mansion um, with not really knowing what to do with himself or what his point is. And that's a pretty bleak setup, really. And Mm -hmm. sort of his meaningless relationships with very vapid and... um, uninspiring people that he surrounded himself with to the point where you really do end up just feeling really sorry for this guy who just hasn't got his shit together. And then you join him trying to put those pieces together. And it's really well done. It is really effective mm. storytelling in that way, in a way that you just don't expect. And it hits you with a real curveball on that, in that you don't think that this setup can lend itself to the level of insight that it ends up giving you. And generally, the, genuinely, the, la- the finale of the second season made me cry. It was so moving mm. and it was uh, so good that it had all been building up to this just lost character which just it's not what you're expecting from the format. And so it really subverts what you, you think you're getting from it. And it's great. Yeah. So please give it another go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, it's interesting about the, the thing you said about it being like, um, assuming it was going to be like a family guy or um, American dad type thing. I, uh, from the first like five minutes of the first episode, I thought it was going to be like uh, an archer type thing with a more adult not, not adult because I think Family Guy sometimes can be quite adult. Just a more mature take on the animated series. I mean, is that a fair comparison? Is it anything like Archer in that um, it's, more well-crafted sense? Or? Um, in the level, of, and I, I'm a massive fan of Archer. I absolutely adore Archer. Mm. Archer uh-huh. never really takes itself as seriously as BoJack Horseman does. Um, okay. At times, it really does have a, a proper heartbreaking message in there of loneliness and despair and just dependency which Archie never really covers those weighty topics nor should it because that's not what it's for but yeah, but right. Bojack Horseman does do that and Will Arnett is just amazing in it as the, okay. the voice of Bojack uh, Owen what are you going for then with your uh, favourite Netflix original drama 
My favourite Netflix original drama. Do you want me to tell you what was in the uh, the poll for that on on Twitter as well? Oh, go on. Because I did ask about. So we had uh, House of Cards, Orange is the New Black, Daredevil, or something else. Uh, something else this time with 9%, which was joint lowest with Orange is the New Black. House of Cards, 27% of people voting said that was their favourite. But Daredevil's kind of like the runaway lead with this one, with, with a whole like 55% to itself of votes. So Daredevil apparently is what people have told us is their favourite Netflix original drama, which I'm pretty sure, as I keep saying with all these, we will talk about a bit later. It's not my particular choice this time. I've gone for Narcos, which um, was a Colombian film. Uh, sorry, not film, Colombian-based series. It tells the story of Pablo Escobar, who I presume most people are familiar with, so I won't go into his whole backstory. Uh, it's, I think, mainly written, from what I'm reading here at the minute, on the Wikipedia page, because this is how prepared I am, but it's mainly written by Jose Padilla, the Brazilian filmmaker, who um, I knew beforehand from Elite Squad and the sequel. He also did the Robocop remake, but uh, we can forgive him for doing that because Narcos is a very good drama. Certainly to begin with, at least. It started out as just like one of the best shows uh, I've seen on Netflix in, in any format, Netflix original or revival or something else that they just happened to have. I was really into it for the first three episodes. It does waver slightly. And I'm, I'm just going to tell people that you just have to bear with it as the plot escalates to the point that, well, that, that Pablo Escobar begins to become the kingpin, becomes this, this world-famous or infamous um, drugs baron and trafficker. That the, the plot slightly gets too big for itself because it tries to be a very small self-contained little show um, whilst dealing with this national thing, this event, this 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 crisis. Um, so it, it kind of loses a little bit of the human touch around the middle as the, the whole sort of attempts by the DEA from America come into Colombia and they're trying to capture Pablo Escobar. In fact, the story is mainly told from the perspective of Steve Murphy, who was a or is a DEA agent whose main mission is what he was there for was to, to, to capture Pablo Escobar. So you get the whole thing narrated from his perspective. Um, but he's not in every scene. You do get to see Pablo Escobar as Pablo Escobar. It just uses a bit of narration at times to move the plot along, to advance things. It's a bit of exposition occasionally. Um, in fact, the weakest thing about narcos is steve murphy the character steve murphy because boyd holbrook who plays him i don't think is particularly great as an actor he seems a little bit too american for the role and i know he's playing this american guy but it just seems like he's not really on the same le level as everyone else in the show um, so maybe it's not that he's a bad actor. I don't think he's bad, otherwise he wouldn't be in a show like this. I just think it's that he's not quite. He doesn't quite fit with the rest of them. Uh, however, uh, now I think his name is Wagner Mura. It's W A G N E R, but he's Brazilian. He plays Pablo Escobar, and he is just out of this world in this show. It's just one of the best TV drama performances. I think I've seen in any show. It's just spectacular the way he does it. And again, it's because he's like so into the character. I saw him in Elite Squad. He was much trimmer. In this, it's a proper case of putting on the weight for the role. You know, he's doing the whole Robert De Niro or Christian Bale thing. Um, but it just, I, I don't know whether it's just uh, it's a combination of that or whether he did a bit of method acting beforehand, perhaps. But he just really nails this role as, as Pablo Escobar. Completely believable. Um, but yeah, it's 10 episodes. It's It's been renewed for a second season, which I hope I think is due out later this year. It came out September last year. Um, I highly recommend it. 
I highly recommend it. I've I've really enjoyed Narcos, and I'm really looking forward to to the second season because the way the first season ends, it ends on a really high note, in terms of the drama and the scale. So um, so yeah, it's great. Have any of you guys seen Narcos? Or I've seen the first two no. or three and did like it, but just haven't got back to it yet for some reason. Okay, you really should. Um, it, like I say, the first two or three episodes are some of the best TV ever. I think. Maybe if it didn't grab you, then I don't know how you'll feel about the rest of it. But the, yeah, I loved it. I thought it was, it was great. Okay, and Chris, what is your favourite Netflix original drama? <clears throat> uh, okay, so this is a slight cheat because it is based on like a Marvel comic and everything. But for me, <laughs> it has to be uh, Jessica Jones, which came out in, I believe, November of last year. And it has more than proven itself to me as... Maybe not the strongest offering in the Marvel cinematic, televisual, whatever you want to call it, universe, but it's definitely my favourite because it's. I think it's a better storytelling. I think it's much stronger. I think it's more enjoyable. Um, and you know, I'll be honest, on a personal level, it's really nice to see a story um, that is about women and is about women, and you know, it does have these incredible female characters in it because. Let's be honest, guys, in terms of female representation in the Marvel Universe and at least what's out there in movies and TV shows, it's not brilliant. It, it no. isn't. There is, you know, I mean, the fact that, the, you know, if you look at, like, Avengers or if you look at, you know, all stuff like that, they're still out getting the merchandise. Black Widow still hasn't got um, a solo film despite about 10 years of them going, yeah, yeah, we're going to make it next year or we're going to be there no, whatever. Wasn't she even missing from the Blu-ray cover of Age of Ultron? Didn't I read yeah. that before? Oh, they yeah. just omitted her completely. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, B, uh, ABC and Disney have some very messed up ways they treat the characters. It's a bit like Guardians of the Galaxy, Gamora isn't in, she isn't an action figure. Ray, who is the lead in the new Star Wars yes. film, she's not in there. They stuck a stormtrooper in instead of the main character. It's terrifying, um, isn't it? How does that happen? Yeah. How does that happen? I don't know. I think there is like you know. I mean, it sounds awful, but there's must be like like an upper crust layer of just old white farts who just think we can't. You know what? You know, girls won't play with stuff like that. Girls don't enjoy comics. They don't enjoy superheroes, anything like that. They don't enjoy Star Wars. They do, you know. And Jessica Jones is a huge, huge testament to that in that it is a hugely popular show and it's been hugely critically acclaimed because it is about a woman who does go through all this stuff. And she, in a weird way, she's kind of the opposite to Kimmy Schmidt. In Kimmy Schmidt, it's very optimistic, very sunshiny, very... I've mm-hmm. something and I'm going to be super happy about having my life at the end. And Jessica Jones is the opposite. She's cynical, she's brutal, she's very misanthropic. Um, and yet, because of the way that Kristen Ritter, who I've been in love with ever since Don't Trust the Bitch in Apartment 23, um, in the way that she plays her, she is inherently likeable. She is very um, strong and vulnerable and she has this hugely compelling and engaging backstory. More so than dare I say Daredevil I'm more interested <laughs> to find out about Jessica's previous attempt to be a superhero about how she got her powers all that sort of thing um, I think the fact she has a very good supporting cast helps I think her chemistry with uh, David Tennant who is definitely the creepiest Marvel villain we've seen for a few years like, I'm generally more scared of him ordering people what to do than I am of um, than I am of Ultron I'm, you know, I am, <laughs> yeah, the, I am yeah. though. I'm genuinely more scared of someone just walking up to me and saying, "Throw yourself in front of a bus," or attack the person next to you, or kill your family, and that's it. That is, you know, that's terrifying on a really human, cold, mm. horrible scale, and that makes it in- infinitely more relatable and infinitely scarier as a result, rather than it being. Oh, you know, aliens are invading, or giant metal monsters, or that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, uh... and the fact that they gave just that one villain the entire series meant that you mm. got to understand yeah. that power properly as well. So it yes, wasn't squandered. Yeah. Not which you see so often, particularly in the um, in the 
shows like Gotham where they, they literally they want to get through two or three villains a week. Well, no, I want to understand what it is that we're fighting against here. I don't want to see um, them just thrown to the curb and defeated and not having learned anything about them because it's just disposable that way. Yeah. I do really like Gotham. <laughs> I'm just going to say, I really enjoyed the fact it's so trashy and throw. Oh away. yeah, no, I'm not saying that doesn't have its merits, and it certainly does, and I like Gotham as well. But if you're looking to achieve something with your villains, let's learn a bit more about them, and that's what um, Jessica Jones does. Yeah, it, it's completely right in that rather than giving it um, sort of like, okay, here's two or three villains, and you're going to work it, you know, spread time across them. No. You literally have it's Jessica versus Kilgrave the whole show, and from the beginning it's clear that they have this big history, this very dark past that gets slowly teased out episode by episode. Um, I mean the best episode for me is uh, episode eight, which is AKA what would Jessica do? Well, what would Jessica do? Um, and it is about their relationship and how is it consent? Is it you know, was there any point where she actually enjoyed this? Was there any point where she actually could have got away from his graph and that sort of thing? And it does delve into these very dark, very human elements that don't ever get touched on, even in serious regular drama. So the fact that it's done all this and it's in the context of a superhero show when, you know, towards the end of when you are was kind of fighting for the for the fate of an entire city, it's incredibly impressive and it makes for extremely addictive tv i watched it in about two days flat on the weekend it came out i was there just like oh and it's one of the rare shows where i avoided spoilers like the plague <laughs> like i just was like i no one tell me what happens no one say anything to me or anything and it was it was it's glorious it is fantastic brilliant holy feminist kind of show um that isn't afraid of using action and, you know, very dark humour to get what it needs. Um, and and this is just literally for me, like I, I was talking about um, how great the supporting cast is, it's great to see Carrie-Anne Moss in a great role, it's great to see Eka Darvel um, and Rachel Taylor and, you know, all these fantastic actors actually getting some really meaty, enjoyable roles to do. Uh, I wonder whether they're not entirely clear-cut, because even though Jessica is our protagonist and hero, she's not really a hero. She is still, like, an alcoholic, and she still is someone who um, has done morally questionable things and isn't actually a very nice person, but you still root for her because, yeah, because she is the kind of hero that you need even if it's the one you don't like isn't she yeah yeah exactly she's an anti-hero in that kind of mold of she doesn't really want to save the world she basically wants to go and drink and forget about her shitty past everything but it's because no one else will no one else has the capability of standing up to this guy and that's why she chooses it which i think it makes her more of a true hero than the people who go out there willingly She's actively being more selfless because she's saying, this is going to hurt, this is going to cause me pain, and I could just run away from this, but I'm not going to because someone has to. So, yeah, I just it's a very enjoyable show, and it's one that is dark, and it's it's fantastic that Netflix has kind of given them a platform for this because even when this was being shot around to standard ABC, it wouldn't have found a home there because it's too dark and it's too... Gritty. Well, look at Agents yeah. of Shield and compare the two. You know. Yeah, I mean, don't worry, I like Agents of Shield, but it's very watered down. It's very PG, even though Agents of Shield still has guns and all that sort of thing. It's just a bit like, you no, know, compared to Jessica Jones, this is like Powerpuff Girls. Yeah, yeah. Which is great. I I really like the fact that there's no two Marvel series that are remotely similar to each other, and I think that yeah. it's mm -hmm. to their credit. You compare that to the the DC offerings, and you know I'm not sure I could tell the difference between an episode of Arrow or or the Flash or Supergirl. I, they all look mm -hmm. and feel exactly the same. No, and, that's fair. And yeah, they've whether. Um, whether they're all as good as each other, perhaps not, but they've all got a definite feel and a place within that universe, which means that they complement each other a lot better rather than just being more of the same. Yeah. Well, I... we, we may as well segue here into to my pick for drama, which is the other Marvel um, Netflix original that we've had so far, which is Daredevil. 
um, which stars Charlie Cox as the title character. I like it that he's one of those British actors that have, have done the rounds of the kind of... <laughs> he's, he's done an episode of jo- Judge John Deed. He's done an episode of Lewis. He's done an episode of Downton. And now he's kind of making his way into the big time. I think, I think all British actors need to kind of do that. You know, <laughs> a bit of casualty, be in the bill. The um, bill doesn't exist anymore. I'm no, worried you know they're what never I mean? going to produce another actor. Since <laughs> yeah, the bill's gone. That's it now. Yeah. It was in Stardust. That was good. But no, I, I just like it when you find out these British actors have done like a, yeah. a guest appearance on <laughs> Touch of Frost. Yeah. <laughs> and now they're in a, like a big, massive Marvel TV show. Yeah. But though, though is um, I suppose it shares some some similar similarities with Jessica Jones, as it's allowed to be perhaps a bit darker than what the, the movies are and Agents of Shield are, um, with it being on on Netflix and perhaps playing to a, a different audience. Um, I know all these these shows they're going to tie together, aren't they? Daredevil, Jessica Jones, um, and the other ones that they're doing. Again, them kind of. Yeah, they're all going to be. They've got the full series, and they're just going to be the TV Avengers, not the yeah, Avengers basically. TV show from the different the Marvel. No, not uh, that. No, not that. <laughs> Defenders. Yeah. Defenders. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I just, it's just you know, quite a, a, a interesting but fun dark TV show, which doesn't play too much on the on the the superpower element that he's got or the. But, you know, it obviously is, is a part, but it's not kind of a, a major um, plot point kind of thing. Um, it's got a, a, an interesting bad guy that um, that is played well. Um, mm-hmm. The second series is going to bring in more interesting characters. I think Punisher is going to be in the second second season. Yeah. It's out soon. Um, played by um, the guy who played Shane in Lost, who probably just rubbed his head a lot. In The Walking Dead. The Walking Dead, yeah. yes. The Walking Dead, sorry. He'll rub his head a lot. Yeah. That's, that's his thing. <laughs> uh, he can't be worse than Dolph Lundgren as the Punisher. No. It was a pretty, pretty poor game. No, I don't think anyone could be worse than... Have you seen He's Doing a Kindergarten Cop 2? I have. No. I've seen the trailer. Yes, I've seen the trailer. and um, mm. It's a real thing. It's not a spoof. <laughs> yeah. It is an actual sequel with Dolph Lundgren. Wow. The, yeah, Dead, I prefer Daredevil to Jessica Jones a lot. I really, I mean, I love the concept of Jessica Jones, and I, for all the reasons Chris described, I think it's a great thing that it's it exists. Um, but it just didn't. I didn't really enjoy it overall. I felt very disappointed with so, Jessica Jones. So I watched Jones. the first first episode of Jessica Jones. I liked it. But I didn't like it as much as Daredevil. Daredevil will have me more wanting to sit down and watch all of them in quick succession. Where I'm sure I will finish Jessica Jones, but probably... yeah. Well, talking you know talking about the villain with David Tennant from from Jessica Jones, Vincent D'Onofrio is probably the best villain I've seen in a Marvel thing since Loki. Mm. Yeah, I I thought Kingpin or he's not he's not actually called Kingpin in that is he? he's Wilson Fisk. He was it, that was probably the best progression of a villain throughout a long sort of running series that they've had. Um, it, was, it was fantastic. It was really well uh, written. The, the character just sort of grew and grew. Uh, yeah, it, it was partly because of Fisk and also because I think Charlie Cox really just went for it with Daredevil. He really just got into character and some of the, the shots in that, that series are just amazing. The, the the fight scene is it episode three, episode two or three, with the um, the single camera sort of single. I think it's shots. episode two. It's episode the end of episode two. two. <coughs> In the corridor, yeah. It's just, I mean, that was just, uh, you know, technically impressive, but still looked tremendous. Um, I think, the, yeah, for me, it just has the edge over Jessica Jones. Uh, not even just actually. I don't know what I'm saying just for. It definitely had the edge over it for me. Well, I'll cast my vote for Jessica Jones because I think it was better. I think the problem I have with Daredevil is the the premise is just a bit too silly for me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is very silly. Blind man has super senses. Yeah. And, Although yeah. they did it very well, um, and two of 
erased all memory of the film having ever existed can only be a good thing. Yeah. Okay, and Phil, what's your uh, best um, pick for original drama? Well, I was going to just talk about Love some more, um, <laughs> but I feel it would be a disservice to the achievements of Netflix if nobody mentions House of Cards. So I'm going to talk about House of Cards just very briefly. When it started... Um, it was such a game changer. And the first few episodes of House of Cards are absolutely phenomenal. I'd say the first three episodes, um, which is when, because they had some pretty big hitting directors for those ones. David Fincher directed the first couple. And then James Foley took over. And just some some massive hitters and the first episodes and the world that it created and the money that was spent on it and the production values that go into it were just stunning. And I instantly crowned it my favourite thing in the world ever, as I want to do. Unfortunately, it goes downhill pretty quick. And particularly the timing in the first episode where it, it jumps forward about three months after it starts and you just don't feel it, the stories are quite getting the attention that they deserve and that it's skipping from one time point to another a bit too quickly, and that made it fall down a bit for me to the point. Now, I'm about halfway through the second season now, so I've really slowed down, given how much I enjoyed it to begin with. Um, and it's Kevin Spacey's character gets a little bit too comic book in his Machiavellian, Machiavellian attitudes towards politics. And you just think, I want it to be a little bit more realistic, a little bit more grounded. I want it a bit more West Wing and less um, Roman plotting, <laughs> which is what it, it kind of becomes. But you've got to be so in awe of Netflix's commitment, the amount of money that they spent on it and the amount they said, right, this we've never done this before, but this is going to be our entry into making our own stuff. This is the first thing you're going to see from us. Up until now, we've just been a host where you can watch films from 10 years ago. Now, here's us actually doing something important. And you've got to admire that. But... Uh, I still prefer Love. I still prefer Orange is the New Black. And I probably prefer the, the Marvel series as well. But mm. you've, got to, you've got to nod your hat to it. Well, finally now for uh, best um, Netflix original feature... And we've all picked the same thing here. We've all picked um, Beasts of No Nation starring Idris Elba um, and the kind of story of, of child soldiers in war-torn Africa. Um, should this have received an Oscar nomination um, or any of the actors in it is probably the first question as that's the kind of biggest issue. And this was eligible for an Oscar, wasn't it, I believe, in the end? <laughs> Technically, it, it did get a theatrical release somewhere, I think. And I think it was distributed amongst um, the panel of voters. So, in theory. But because it's got no white people in it and they're all black, then it wasn't ever going to get a nomination this year, was it? No. Uh, very cynical. Uh. Very cynical. But um, I, I don't know whether it was an Oscar-winning kind of film anyway. Uh, regardless, it was good. I really liked Beasts of No Nation. It's it set the the bar pretty high for the rest of the uh, the Netflix original movies. Yeah, Adam Sandler, produce. we're looking at you. Yeah, your four picture movie deal, Mr. Sandler. Yeah, one of four which sucks balls. So, uh, ridiculous six. I is turned the it. Worst I turned it off. Netflix. Yeah, I just I thought, watched it all. I just thought, what's the? Uh, I just thought, uh, what is the point of this? What is the point of me wasting my life doing this? Well, it's because people are stupid. And Netflix <laughs> basically commission their shows by looking at the sort of metrics of what people who subscribe to their um, service are watching. So somewhere they must have gone, Jesus, Adam Sandler is very popular. Give him a full picture deal and he can make the movies that he wants to make. And, and to be fair, the, I mean, Adam Sandler did try to sort of break the mould when he first came onto the scene making movies. He just, he wanted to make sort of silly and irreverent sort of comedies. Um, and somewhere along the line, that 
ended up becoming going on holiday on multi-million pound budgets with his mates for a while um, and paying himself lots of lots of lots of money. Um, so there was a, there's this idea when they gave him the full picture deal that maybe he is going to actually try something different now and then no. It's just a load of sort of smug circle jerking shit again. It's uh, it's not very good. But, but Beast of No yeah, Nation is very good. Beast of No Nation is yes. fantastic. I have to be honest though. I mean, when we were looking at this triple bill, there weren't many other options there for me to choose from for this one for favourite feature. No. How did you guys feel? I mean, have you seen stuff like A Very Murray Christmas or no, any I, of the I, awards? I, I, I avoided <laughs> that after looking... you told me what A Very Murray Christmas was like. Mm. So I thought, no. Yeah, I, I, I didn't bother either. I watched the whole thing and I was like, oh, Bill Murray, why? Why? <laughs> and it's just, it's... It, yeah. It, I don't know. It just, it's... It, very, I get what he was trying to do and try and make it like a 50s, you know, mm-hmm. D Martin. Hey, all my friends just came around, I'm gonna sing some songs and all that shit. But it was just, it was just done, I think, quite cynically. I don't think there was much sincerity in the whole thing. No, um, no. and Bill Murray's kind of crazy now, isn't he? He's a bit nuts because he did just throw all those phones off a building. So I'm like, oh, that's <laughs> that's good. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I don't want Bill Murray to be an ass. I'd rather not know. Uh, if you're going to yeah. just keep that secret, please, Bill. Be evil, but do it like at home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, any of you other guys had trouble selecting something for this, or was it just straight to Beast in a Nation? Um, no, no, I had trouble, but there's not that much yet. They haven't really stepped up their motion picture release schedule yet, although it's coming and it's coming quick. There's going to be a film a year, a film a month released for the rest of 2016. So there's lots of content coming, but so far there's literally just the Adam Sandler nonsense and mm-hmm. uh, Beast of No Nation to choose from. So it was a pretty easy decision, really, and Beast of No Nation got it for me. And I don't think it was perfect. I think it was overly long, and mm-hmm. it didn't say anything particularly new or teach you any mess. The problem with dealing with such a heavyweight subject as that. In there's no shades of grey there, is there? It's very obvious that this is a bad thing, and it's not going to teach you anything other than that, mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. that's what you end up with. And mm. yeah, so it's 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 a it's a good work, and I'm glad it was made, and I'm glad that they didn't want to didn't feel the need to shoehorn in a, a white character and um, make it all about some UN intervention or anything like that. That would have been awful, um, mm-hmm. and so it felt a lot more genuine for that. But it's a bit too long. And it's not as good as the first five minutes. The first five minutes are outstanding and it it loses that as time goes on. Okay, well, I think all that's really left for us to do is to go ahead of our recommendations where we will recommend you something that we haven't mentioned in our, our triple um, triple bill for you to watch that is a Netflix original. So, uh, running in the same order, Owen, what do you recommend? Well, I've got a couple again from Twitter, actually, to just pull out there. Uh, Paul Field, friend of the podcast, uh, at Pafster on Twitter. Uh, when I put out the poll for comedies, he scoffed at my selection on the poll and suggested Master of None, Wet Hot American Summer and Club de Cuervos. As well, Master of so None is fantastic. I can't believe we mm-hmm. haven't talked about that yet because that is another example of something that you just feel would not get made by the studios because they'd be terrified that it wouldn't pull in the the advertisers. And it's brilliant. I watched some of it. I thought it was a little bit like Louis, but I, I, admittedly, I have not watched much of it. I think I watched like half an episode. My wife started watching it without me, and that was like almost ended the relationship but she she started watching it that's a joke that's an exaggeration she started watching it without me and then she got really into it so she started i i I just didn't have a point to jump in from yeah so i haven't got into watching it yet but it felt a lot like louis it is a lot like louis but a bit more Mm. upbeat and i love louis but that can be a tough watch that can be a really tough watch um whereas uh master of none is a much more upbeat version of that same type of storytelling Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we also had Dan Taylor, who recommended uh, Grace and Frankie. 
which I've always assumed wouldn't I be like for it. me. <laughs> I haven't given it a try yet. It's, no. it's quite nice. I mean, they have quite good chemistry, to Lily Tomlin and Jane Fonda. So it's it's worth seeing just for those two kind of tearing each other to shreds. Lily so. Tomlin is a genius, so I really ought yeah. to, because I do love Lily Tomlin. Uh, yeah. But I haven't got around to it yet. And just one finally, um, which is not really a recommendation, it's more of a warning, which is from Gandhi's Flip Flops, who said that the... Uh, he said that Adam Sandler comedy in quotation marks, the Western one, really, he didn't like that one. Uh, and while it pains me to say, the Murray Christmas special disappointed me on so, whoa, 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 lots of those, many levels. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so this t- just echoing what we've said earlier. M- my recommendation, though, is going to be Wet Hot American Summer, first day of camp. I don't think we've actually really talked about it much. Um, other than saying what it is as a sort of prequel series, a one-off series. But it, the fact that it exists and that it brought back all these people, you know, it, it's it's just an um, um, incredible achievement. I looked at that and thought, this is not going to be for me. What the hell is this show? Why have Netflix commissioned something like this, which just looks like a standard teen sort of comedy, but it's actually genius. Uh, the fact they get all these actors back to play prequels of a film that was made over like 15 years ago and they're playing younger versions of themselves in that when they were already older characters playing young versions of like, uh, it's just a, yeah, it's just absolutely brilliant. But like Paul Rudd, Bradley Cooper, Amy Poehler, um, Jason Schwartzman's back as well. I think it's just, it's just, wow. How did they do that? It's incredible. Yeah. I wish it had been better. That's the only thing. But then I didn't like the original film. The original film got a huge cult following in the US and yet nobody in the UK ever really saw it at all or it didn't didn't get any sort of release or anything, but a massive following in America. So it was a really big deal. (laughs) I just felt that it was a bit of a one trick pony and it's just one joke that's that's eked out a bit. And yeah, it's quite a funny joke and um, I would give my right arm to spend half an hour in the company of Gene Garofalo. But... (laughs) Um, it just wasn't enough for me. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not Arrested Development. It's not quite the same level as that for me. But um, or perhaps even Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, which I do, I am really getting into as well. But it's, um, I, I did really like it. I'd recommend it. Also, watch the film first. Just watch the film first, and then watch the TV series. They're both on Netflix. Okay, Chris, what are you recommending for people? Uh, I am going to be recommending, and it's it's a complete guilty pleasure of mine, but I don't even care at this point. It is uh, the Netflix original series Sense Eight, which is done by the Wachowski siblings. Um, it's kind of high concept, very weird, very divisive sci-fi about eight people across the planet who suddenly find themselves psychically, emotionally, and physically linked. Um, it's great for me, and this is my complete personal aesthetic, which is basically people helping each other out by kicking the crap out of each other's enemies psychically. Um, there's like eight different stories all interconnecting. It's a global conspiracy. Um, it's all shot on location, and it's absolutely gorgeous, and it's brilliant to have um, diverse protagonists all with their own cool uh, backstories and with their own skill sets. Um yeah, and I think it's kind of nice in the the Wachowskis have gotten a lot of shit for their films recently. I mean, don't go wrong. I mean, I enjoyed. I think I was one of three people in the UK who saw Jupiter Ascending, um, and I, I I enjoyed it. It's shit, but I enjoyed it. But it's stuff like you know they haven't really had much success since the Matrix films, but weirdly, Sense Eight appears to be something quite. It allows them to go and use that high concept thing, and they don't have to cram it into a two-hour film. They can use this time to go and explore their characters a bit more. Um, and it, yeah, it's basically bonkers sci-fi film. So if that sounds like it's in your wheelhouse, uh, do check it out. I'd say check out the first three to four episodes just to get a handle on the series because the first episode is a real slow, slow progression. But then the end of series three has one of the best fight scenes I've ever seen. Um, in a TV show, so yeah, I would really strongly recommend Sense8. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, it really is. And again, you get the feeling that they're being allowed to experiment with it more than they would have done because yeah. there is no way, none at all, that Sense8 <laughs> would have got a second series, none whatsoever. No. Um, but it has. And so we get to take it somewhere and develop the ideas that they've, they've worked with and know that it's going to get looked after. 
and that's exciting. That that feels like yeah. it's being invested in properly. And I didn't. It's not the best thing ever made. It, there was some big flaws, some big plot flaws, and and some characterization which was a bit off the mark for me. But it's yeah. still great fun. Yeah, exactly. It's just a lot of fun. Um, it's the Wachowskis getting to kind of explore stuff, and it wouldn't have found a home anywhere else really because it doesn't fit into anyone else's demographic really. Um, yeah, it's 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 just enjoyable if you just take it at face value as kind of haphazard high concept form then you will have uh, a great time okay uh i'm going for and just so we get a bit of variation here uh, i'm going for shows that netflix have been involved with you can't really see them you haven't got netflix in the uk um so i'm just going to go for a couple of these quickly one is uh lily hammer um made in conjunction with norwegian tv about a american mobster who is in witness, I think it's witness protection. It's been a long time since I've seen it in in Norway. And the other is uh, ESPN. This is even though they might have a channel here in conjunction with BT Sport, uh, they've done a lot of great documentaries called uh, the Thirty for Thirty series that aren't available on UK TV but are on Netflix. If it wasn't for Netflix, we wouldn't have them. And my favourite though has probably been the Hillsborough one, um, mainly because growing up in the UK, too young to kind of understand Hillsborough when it happens. Growing up. It's always in the background. It's part of, you know, UK modern history is the Hillsborough disaster. But you might not know too much about it if you're kind of my age and just been growing up with it all in the background. Um, but this explains it brilliantly and kind of um, is quite shocking, actually, what happened. But uh, there's plenty on the 30 for 30 series that's worth watching. Um, and Phil, finally, your recommendation. I'm going to recommend Love. Have I mentioned Love? <laughs> I, I think so. Yeah. It's the one with Woody Allen, right? No. Uh, yeah, it's fantastic. It's everything that I want from TV, and I, the world is richer for it existing. So please go and watch that. Um, it's interesting. I was just going through the list of the originals from um, Netflix, and the only couple that there's a couple that we haven't touched on at all of the big mm-hmm. ones. Hemlock Grove, we mentioned very briefly. Marco yeah. Polo's the big one. That had a lot of money spent on it. And I have to say, I've not watched a minute of that one yet. Anybody else? <laughs> Two episodes. I got a bit bored of it. And I really didn't want to get bored because uh, I do like Benedict Wong. I think he's a very good actor. Yeah. Um, it's great to see him getting bigger and bigger productions as well now. Um, I really wanted to enjoy it. And he was very good. It just, it was so slow. I've been two episodes in, like two hours and barely anything had happened. Yeah, I gave it the the pilot and then I was just like, nope, not connected with this at all. So I just moved on. But they did give it a prequel recently. It had a half an hour long prequel that was released. Um, So I don't know, I, I will try it again, but yeah, that didn't didn't do much for me what was the other one that um, we, we the over- other one is bloodline yes which right. i watched the uh, which I, I think suffered the same fate of the the first episode being very slow moving and i do keep meaning to go back to it if only because ben mendelson might be the best actor working in the world today um quite possibly, and yeah. getting to see him do more and linda cardellini i'm also quite in love with so um i really do mean to revisit but i didn't find the the pilot very exciting at all Anybody else see that? Uh, I watched 20 minutes. I just couldn't get into it, which is a shame because I loved Damages. So I was like, oh, shit. And I just, I, I couldn't get into it at all. I but did I might like give it a little try. I did like the pilot episode. I thought the, um, the way that it ended with the first episode, I could have perhaps done without the way that it set up the rest of the season. Um, but I will go back to it. I just watched it because I was trying to get a bit of variation from the Netflix things I was watching at the time. I think we had Orange is the New Black, Narcos, Making a Murderer, and something else, Sense8, on the go at the same time. And for some reason, I thought then would be a good time to try out another show <laughs> um, for some reason. And I liked it, but I haven't rushed back to it just yet. Okay, well, that is now pretty much it for this week's Failed Critics podcast Netflix special. Uh, so thanks to Phil and Chris for coming on the podcast. Uh, Phil, do you want to plug anything? I'm sure you do. You do a podcast as well. Yeah, why don't you have a listen to Wiki Shuffle? 
Wiki Shuffle's our weekly podcast where we look at the wonderful world of Wikipedia, and you can find us at wikishuffle.co.uk or on the Twitter at WikiShufflePod or iTunes or any of those type of places. <laughs> yep. And um, Chris, anything you would like to plug, mention, recommend? Uh, mention myself. Uh, I'm on Twitter at higher underscore boy. Uh, I generally appear on Pickflick Pod which you can also find at, I believe, Pick a Flick Pod on Twitter. Uh, I'm also going to be appearing in the spin-off show uh, Dead Meat, which is at Dead Meat Horror on Twitter, um, which is a specific horror theory podcast. Um, and, yeah. And, Owen, <laughs> what are we doing next week? Uh, next week, well, okay, last week on the podcast we had our Oscar predictions with Brooker and Paul. And next week, we will be discussing the Oscars results with them. We've got them back to run through what we picked, see how right or wrong we were in our choices. So, yeah, that's what we'll be doing next week. I've also, I do have a couple of things I'll, I'll plug very briefly. I mean, I wrote a sort of preamble to this episode, which is on the website, which is just a, a thing I just had a couple of hours spare today at uni, and I just wrote something about Netflix. So that's on the website, failcritics.com. Uh, and also, I've got my radio show that I do for Books 101 Radio with a different Paul, Paul Rutland. And we release that as a podcast. You can listen to that through Fail Critics. Or you can actually listen to the live radio show, which is Thursdays at 6pm. If you go facebook.com forward slash Books 101 Radio, and then you can listen to the live radio schedule there. Excellent. Yes, well, uh, join us next week then uh, on the podcast for our Oscars um, review the failed critics podcast is presented by steve norman and owen hughes created by james diamond with original music provided by kevin mcleod of incompetech.com remixed by james yule of jamesyule.com you can find us at failedcritics.com on twitter at failedcritics and facebook at facebook.com forward slash failedcritics thanks for listening Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.